Well, good morning to everybody. How does September feel to you? Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, they're popping up everywhere, these customer service uh, surveys. You may be talking to a representative of a company on the phone, and at some point in that conversation, you may be asked, would you mind staying on the line to participate on a survey concerning this call? I got to admit, there are a lot of times I would like to, I'm thinking, yeah, I really do want to give a survey on this thing. And, uh, but they're asking for it, so I would be glad to give it. You go to a department store and buy something, and the clerk, after they check you out, will circle at the bottom of the receipt a website and invite you to take a survey of your experience there, and you can be name put in for a drawing for a $500 shopping spree or whatever it might be. There are so many customer survey uh, service surveys that it gets just a little bit tiresome every once in a while. She says to him, you've been at the computer for six hours. What are you doing? He answers, I'm still completing the customer satisfaction survey from the restaurant where we ate lunch. It is rather laborious at some time. So from public restrooms to restaurants, companies are always asking us for how we feel about their service. And businesses covet that information. Because surveys show that quality service is probably the major factor in our thinking that would make us want to visit that business again. It's not so much the quality of the products, it's the quality of the service. In fact, 70% of customers say that the way they are treated is the basis of their decision to purchase or not. 55% are even willing to pay a higher price when the service is better. And 89% have stopped doing business with a company with bad service. So as much as good service helps a business, bad service hurts a business. And in addition to that, we're twice as likely to tell others about a bad experience than we are to tell others about a good experience. So service is big in the business world. Service is big in the church world. There have been times periodically through our 10-year history that we've given surveys to see how we're doing. They are very scary pieces of information, and, uh, but they're needed because we need to hear what you all are saying. So surveys, customer service is important in business. It's important in church, and I think it's important to God. Sometimes I think, I wonder how God would rate our service, not our worship service on Sunday morning, that too, but how would he rate each of us as individuals when it comes to serving other people? That's what we're talking about today in this series in which we are focusing on proudly serving local. Last week, I talked about some of the things about our area in, for which I am so very proud and showed a little history of our progression as, a, as in the Ozarks toward for from being an exclusive area to hopefully being more inclusive in how we deal with people. Uh, and today, I want us to talk about the second part of that proudly serving local. I want us to think about today serving other people. Why do we serve other people? Why is it so important that we serve other people? I love this Chinese proverb. If you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. 
If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. If you want happiness for a lifetime, help somebody. I think that's really wise advice. I'd like to have the other things too. I wouldn't turn that fortune down, but to help somebody for a lifetime of happiness. So we know that serving feels good. Science has helped us understand that when we serve in whatever capacity, that increases our dopamine, that hormone that makes us feel good. And so when we actually serve, if you will sign up for Venues Palooza in a few weeks, you're going to feel really good. It's going to be high. And uh, so we know serving makes us feel good. We also know that serving does good. Where would our communities be if people didn't have a serving heart? But there is another reason that I want to give to all of us about why we serve. Jesus says, for I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So what is it that Jesus did that he wants us to imitate? We know the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples found in John chapter 13. The scene of John 13 is the city of Jerusalem, first century, also paved roads. The roads were more like winding dirt trails that were just layered with dust. And then when it rained, that dust would turn into a just slushy mist, inches of mud. It would uh, be very similar to that uh, festival uh, that they had in northern Nevada uh, last week. 70,000 people stuck in the mud at that Burning Man festival. Well, it was the custom, since it was such a dusty, dirty uh, road for the host of a home when he was having a party or somebody over for dinner, that the host would have their servant stand at the door of the home. And when the guests came into the home, they would take off their shoes, their boots, their sandals, and uh, that servant would wash the dirt, the mud, the donkey crap, the camel crap that was all in those streets. And it was just a nasty, nasty job. And if the home could not afford a servant, then the uh, early arrivers at the dinner party, would somebody would volunteer. So it was very good to be late to the parties. So we go to this scene of the upper room of a little of an area in Jerusalem. And all the disciples had gotten there. Jesus had not yet arrived. And one thing that is very interesting, when the disciples got there, I'm sure of the custom of the day, and it's still a custom of the day in, in the Far East, and it's the custom of the right house here in Springfield to take your shoes off, take your boots off, take whatever you're wearing on your feet, and leave them at the door. And those disciples came in, and they left their, feet, their shoes and sandals at the door, but not one of them had volunteered to wash each other's feet. And then Jesus comes in. Let's pick up with the text. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. It's interesting that the writer of this passage says, in the first verse, let me go back to it so we can see it again. 
Jesus knew who he was. He knew his purpose. He knew his identity. He was very secure in his identity. And there was something about Jesus' identity that led him to be able to serve in this really menial way. It's so very interesting to me that verse 4 starts with a verse, with a word, so. He knew why he was here. He knew who he was. And so, he humbled himself. What I'm learning from that is that serving comes out of a secure identity. When a person is very secure in who they are, and they don't need the applause, they don't need the accolades, they don't need to prove themselves to anybody else, there is no task that they won't do. It's not beneath them, so to speak. <clears throat> and those of us who, who push back, ah, I'm, I'm too good for that or whatever. I'm afraid what that reveals about me, if I ever feel that way, is my own insecurity about my own identity, that that would be beneath me. In 2018, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte walked into the Ministry of Health and Welfare at, uh, at The Hague, and he dropped his coffee cup. Now, this is the Prime Minister, the head of the country. What do you expect that he did when he dropped his coffee cup? He got a mop and he began to clean it up. Maybe much to the surprise, and then as you see, the applause of the custodial staff. I admire this about that prime minister. Let's go back to the text. After that, Jesus poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus began the, the task, the practice of doing what a servant would do, washing their feet. Jesus is giving his disciples a living demonstration of how he wants to be remembered. He's giving them a living demonstration of what he wants them to do because this was the night before he was to be crucified, the night before he died. A person's last words or last deeds before they die carry a little bit more weight than other words, than other deeds that they may have done because this is the person's last chance to say something. It's last ch their last chance to kind of leave a mark upon people around them. Uh, we all mourn uh, the death this past week of uh, Jimmy Buffett. And I read in People magazine just uh, last night when we got home from a wedding in Bentonville that Jimmy Buffett's sister, Lulu, gathered at his bedside, and his last words to her were, have fun. Interesting, because that was one of my main messages to the wedding couple that I uh, officiated yesterday. Have fun in your marriage. There's just a lot of drama in this world. There's just a lot of uh, tension in this world, so... Just try to do something every day that would have fun, that would give you some fun. Jimmy Buffett's words, his last words to his sister are good. And it's sad when you're dying and there's no one around you to hear your last words. My dad died uh, 2020, and because of COVID, he had himself had COVID, and 
he was in the hospice care in, in Little Rock. Nobody was in this room when he died. And none of us kids could be in the room when he died. But a few days before he died, he, uh, he gave his last sermon, so to speak, and uh, his last words. And it was so meaningful to me. Uh, let me see how oh, I passed it up there. There's a picture of Dad in his hospice bed. His last words in this message were, be kind. And as he reflected upon his 89 years, he says, I wish I would have been more kind. That's important to me, not just as a son. It's important to me as a human being that when an 89-year-old who had uh, pastored for about 70 uh, two years of that, 89 years, as he looked at all of his ministry, his last words were nothing to do with a belief. It was nothing to do with a doctrine. It was about relating to people with a kind spirit. Boy, I like that so much. I so appreciate that. Last words are so very important. I did pass this quote by the philosopher Voltaire. On his dying bed, his last words was, or this is not the time to be making new enemies. And that last line came from a priest. A question a priest asked Voltaire, Voltaire, would you like to denounce Satan? Would you like to denounce Satan and all of his works? And this was Voltaire's answer. <laughs> it's not the time to be making new enemies. Yeah, that, uh, that's almost better than Dad's last words, yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to the text. He came to Simon Peter, Jesus did, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. You know, I think Peter expresses the same discomfort that we might feel if somebody's going to wash our feet. Maybe Peter had this weird thing about feet. I remember... I was kind of uncomfortable when I had my first pedicure. I'm unsure about a strange person touching my feet like that, but uh, I'm, I love it now. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it probably goes deeper than that. And I don't really know why Peter was uncomfortable. So everything I say is just a speculation. It's just a thought. And I could be way, way off base here. But it could be that... Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is doing because maybe Peter is still hoping that Jesus is going to be this Rambo type of leader who is going to come in like a commander-in-chief and order the disciples to be a part of the army, to be a part of the troop, to take up their swords, and let's beat the Romans. Let's free ourselves from their oppression. But here was their leader acting like the lowest servant of all. Jesus, Peter wanted a, a kick-butt leader. And he was getting kind of a wimpy leader who was acting like a servant, not like a king, not like a general, not like a commander. Yeah, this is a leader who bows before them who humbles himself, and he serves them rather than taking charge and giving orders as to what to do. 
The only order that Jesus gives is what I've done, you do. And love one another. Yeah, Peter just doesn't get this. He, he was raised, maybe like some of us were raised, that God got vengeance upon his enemies. And there are so many stories that I just ate up from the Hebrew Scripture about a warlike God who would declare vengeance and get even with those people who were oppressing uh, God's people. But then as I, even in high school, as I began to see the flow of the Hebrew story, it's a beautiful story, and the Hebrew prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and uh, Micah and Amos especially, they began to show this softer side of God who no longer sought vengeance but sought healing and restoration and restitution. No longer was exclusive but became more inclusive. And then in the person of this prophet, this Hebrew teacher called Jesus, this rabbi, he just fulfilled that whole movement of inclusion. But it was hard, I think, for Peter to recognize that maybe he misunderstood God. That maybe the way God was going to do things is not by commanding an army and getting vengeance upon his enemies. But this God was going to allow others to kill him. And then this God would turn around and forgive them for killing him. And that this was going to be the way to a new kingdom. This is going to be the way to peace. Yeah. It's going with the text. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, well, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Again, it's, Jesus, it's Peter saying, I really just need a kick butt leader. Jesus, I need you to be stronger than this. Not realizing how much strength it takes to be humble. He was needing in his mind what strength was, Jesus to be that. And I wonder if Peter was thinking, you know, if you wash my feet, if you humble yourself, I don't know if I can respect you. I don't know if I can really follow you if you're not, if you're not tougher than that. I don't know if I can look up to you because we're taught to look down upon people that wash feet. We're taught to look down upon servers. And so many times with this air of arrogance, we... We treat servers as lower than us. And that's how Peter saw Jesus as a leader. And I, and I think he was saying, no, if I let you wash my feet, I'll never be able to look up to you again. I won't respect you as a leader. So this text goes on. And then after Jesus said, no, if you don't let me wash you, we really won't be a, a part of each other. So Peter replied, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I think Peter so really wanted to follow Jesus, and I think you do too. And I think Peter recognized, okay, if I'm going to follow Jesus, and Jesus is showing me humility and serving like this, I guess I'm going to have to do that too. And maybe I just need Jesus to wash me from head to foot, not just my feet. 
maybe Peter was thinking, I've got some ideas that I just need to have washed away. And that's one maybe good analogy of baptism. Maybe when we're baptized, have that water poured over us. We're just saying, gosh, I've got some stinking attitudes, some ideas that need to be washed away. I don't know what Peter wanted to wash away. Maybe he wanted to have his pride washed away. Maybe he wanted to have this idea that we're all raised with. There's us good guys and there's them bad guys. They're us people who have it together. We've got the right belief, the right doctrine. We vote for the right candidate. And then there's everybody else. And maybe Peter felt like, I need to wash away this us versus them mentality. And I think Peter needed to, he realized he needed to wash away his understanding of greatness. To wash away the idea that greatness is to be served. Because Jesus is now teaching, no, greatness is serving others. It's not the one being served who is great. In his kingdom is the one who is serving who is great. Boy, it's just an upside-down way of thinking. Let's go on with the text. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he said, do you all understand what I have done for you? And he asked them. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I say to you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is a very interesting part of the passage to me. I think Jesus throws him a curveball. He kind of asserts and reminds them who he is. I'm the Lord, and I'm your rabbi, I'm your teacher. So he establishes his authority. And you would kind of expect, possibly, that the disciples would think, okay, Jesus has washed our feet. He's the boss. He's the Lord. He's he's the rabbi. Now he's going to tell us to wash his feet. And most of us would stand in line to wash Jesus' feet. It would be an honor to wash Jesus' feet. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, now I want you to do that to me. He says, I've washed your feet. Now then, I want you to wash each other's feet. I want you to wash the feet of the community. To wash the feet of the world. Ah, that's harder to do. Jesus doesn't say, now that you've seen what I do, I want you to go preach about that on Sunday morning. I want you to discuss this in a small group. Now that you've seen what I do, I want you to think about it and meditate on it. Now, all those things are good. I recommend all of them. But what he said was... Now that you've seen what I do, I want you to go do it. You've seen me express humility, and it's not fake, because I know who I am. 
You've seen me serve, and now I want you to have that same humility because you're secure in your identity. And I want you to have that same servant attitude and behave toward not just me, not toward your friends here, but toward everybody, an attitude that would wash their feet. So, if we are to follow Jesus, and I really think the reason you're here, at least you're interested in thinking about following Jesus. But if we are serious about following Jesus, we're going to have to be serious about serving. We're going to have to be serious about being humble. And so that's one reason why we have, since the beginning of our church in 2013, set aside one Sunday every year to do nothing but serve the community. And as Chris said a moment ago, we will dismiss the Sunday morning gathering and we will go out into the community and serve. Why would a church risk not receiving a few thousand dollars on a Sunday, give that up in order to go into the community and serve? Because we think that once you serve in that one time, you're going to want to serve all the time. And we have people who serve every day through the venues and through other agencies, not just at Venues Palooza. But we want to communicate to the people who are in our community of the venues, this is how important serving is to us, that we will forego that one Sunday gathering. And we want to partner and show love to, uh, to our area. So I really hope that you will sign up proudly serving local so go to that website uh, venues.org slash venuespalooza and you can sign up for that and follow all the information and learn from that i want to talk about a little bit as we get ready to close the impact that uh, you have had in our community this is a word from someone who's a part of the venues they say the venues changed my outlook on god and christianity but the Gathering Tree, one of the partners uh, that we associate with, changed my outlook on the world. The first night I signed up to volunteer, it was only because they needed last-minute help. I sat in my car ready to cancel and drive off because I was scared. My prejudices for the homeless were deeper than I ever realized. That night I cried my entire drive home. I fell in love there with every human I came across. The only thing they wanted from me was someone to talk to, someone to call a friend. A life driven by love is easy when you break down your prejudices and embrace people. Thank you, the venues, for opening my eyes and giving me this opportunity. Well, thank you for doing that. You are the venues. And that's why we do that. Proudly serving local. So here's my takeaway. Maybe it's yours too. We serve because we follow the one who served. We follow Jesus. Honestly, you don't have to believe in some of the Christian doctrines that have been practiced over the several years, centuries, about Jesus' identity as, as the Messiah or 
the Son of God. Jesus so emphasized more than anything else following his way, his way of serving and his way of loving. And if you're interested in that at all, then you're going to be interested in serving other people. I also learned from this, and I need to really grasp this, to be secure in who I am. I don't need to be anybody else. I just be who I am and be very happy with that. And out of that sense of security in my identity, that's going to propel me into be willing to serve in whatever capacity. I want to make serving a third takeaway. I'm, you know, I talked about us buying burial plots last week. So I'm thinking about dying and because I deal with death all the time. And I just want a good legacy. I just want people to think of Philip as being a kind guy. And uh, I think if I work into my life uh, an attitude of humility and serving, and then I think that'll be a better legacy. And I think you'd want that too for you. Yeah. And the third thing, this is selfish, but Jesus does say it. Go back to John 13. You will be blessed if you serve. This guy has a story that I want to show you that uh, a very literal application. He was blessed when he was kind. He was blessed when he was uh, uh, considerate to a server. Take a look at this video of uh, John Tay. John Tay had an experience at Starbucks that I want you to see. Take a look. So quick story time. I'm at the RDU airport. <laughs> And I go to Starbucks and I order my drink, nothing fancy. I wanted a strawberry lemonade, which, yeah, strawberry lemonade, basically a lemonade with strawberry puree. And they brought me out a coffee with strawberries in it. So I guess the new, it was a new girl that she didn't know how to put the order in. But long story short, they kept messing up the order. And I was like, um, I was just being polite, like, it's okay, everybody have a bad day, because I've been having a bad day my damn self. But anyways, long story short, when they finally got my order right, one of the execs come up, and she like, I'm an exec from Starbucks, and I watched your experience from beginning to end, and I just want you to know, like, you were so polite and, you know, polite with our people, like, I got something for you. She gave me a lifetime Starbucks gift card. I just go and swipe it. Swiping, swiping, swiping. No swipe back. <laughs> and I had a bad ass day. Got it right up at work. This made it. <laughs> and my drink good. Shout out to Starbucks for making my day. Yeah, that's good stuff. What is so great about this is that even though John Tay had had a bad day, he got a write-up at work, he didn't take it out on that server who was having a bad day. The server just kept messing up time and time again the order. And John Tay, time and time again, was kind and was patient. My gosh, John Tay is far more humble than many of us and myself included. I guess 
service goes both ways, doesn't it? We expect good service out of a business. Hmm. Maybe the business should expect good service out of us. We expect the business to be kind. Are we willing to be kind to the business? Good lesson for me to learn.